Thank you so much, team and choir. And uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to start at the very, very beginning. So uh, Genesis chapter 1, I invite you to, to join me there. And uh, as you're turning, I mentioned that, uh, you know, typically we're walking through a book of the Bible and picking up where we left off the week before and just walking through the Word. And today, uh, Great Commission Sunday, we're taking a different approach uh, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to use them a lot. And if you have the Bible on your phone, we're going to be dialing in a lot this morning. Um, and so, uh, so excited to walk through the Word. So uh, something that I think we can't be reminded of enough as believers is that God has a plan for our life. Now, it is possible you have grown up and you have heard that phrase before, and a matter of fact, I would just be curious if someone somewhere along the way, you've heard it growing up somewhere along the way, you heard God has a plan for your life. Would you just kind of raise your hand? I want to see. Okay, lots of people have heard that. All right. And so, so I want us to start there because it is true. And it is communicated over and over again through the word that God has a plan for your life, is a plan for my life. We are reminded over in Ephesians 2 that Paul wrote and the Holy Spirit inspired Paul and he said this, he said that we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which He prepared in advance that we would walk in. And so this idea that God has a plan A for your life and that plan A involves living your life yielded to His Spirit and His glory, and that He would use you in mighty ways. And it is humbling to even just realize that God has called me, He has called you, He's called us as His plan A to take the good news about Himself, whether it's into every corner of our homes, and to our neighborhoods, to our families, to our co-workers, and even to the ends of the earth. There was a book written, it's called Spiritual Multiplication by Bob McDab, and he gives some challenging questions and great insights as it relates to this desire of God and His design to use our life. And so before we jump in, I just want us to think of, I want you to think of your favorite vacation spot, okay? I know I just kind of took a U-turn right there for a second, right? I want you to think about your favorite vacation spot. You get to pick. You get to go for an entire week. You get to do wherever you want to do. You get to go to wherever you want to go. And I want you to like think about that place. All right. Question. How many of you for that place it was a beach or involved a beach? Oh, wow. Okay. All right. So I found people love the beach or like people are like, I can't stand the beach, all the sand and everything and trying to get it out. So it looks like the majority love the beach. Okay, so if you despise the beach, hang in there, all right? We're going to the beach. And for the people who love the beach, you're in for a treat because that's where we're going. Okay, so in our minds, in our hearts, we're going to the beach, all right? We, we're going to the beach. We're there. Aren't you so glad we made it? <laughs> we're there, all right? You don't even have to rent a chair for like $500, all right? Like the chairs are, all, your chair is already on the beach, all right, and so we're all walking to our chairs. We're all there, and I want us to have a seat in the chair. 
All right, we felt that sand sink a little bit. Our toes, go ahead and kick your shoes off. Dig the toes in. Get the sand in the toes. Are you there? All right, we're there. Toes are in the sand. What I didn't tell you was it's about 9 o'clock at night. All right? It's all good. I don't know some people go to sleep early. Like, that's a good thing. Uh, but it's 9 o'clock at night. Okay, so it's dark. All right, and we're there. Your toes are in the sand. Your, your head is looking up. And your eyes are beholding what is a glorious, magnificent, incredible, crystal clear night. And you just see the stars like they're innumerable. All right, so I want you to be there mentally as we get into the Word. Toes in the sand, eyes looking at the multitude of stars on a crystal clear night. And what we're going to see is through the Word, this is how God has chosen to show us His people the desire that He wants to multiply His glory, His good news through our lives to the multitudes. And we see it early, early on. So I want to ask a couple questions as we get into the Word. Question number one, do you believe that God wants to multiply your life and make your spiritual descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sands and the sand on the shore? And I want you just, these are questions that often, I mean, honestly, we just don't ask ourselves a lot. But I want us to, to kind of prepare our hearts by answering these questions. What are you specifically asking God to do through your life? How many men or women are you asking God to equip you as multiplying disciples? And how many nations are you asking God to impact through you? You may hear that and you're like, nations? Like, I'm just trying to win at home right now. I mean, it's a win to get shoes on, food on the table, and to work through all the places we're supposed to be at one time and like make it to the, to the end of the week. But here's my hunch. Every single one of us are busy people. That's just my hunch. I haven't met somebody who's not busy. At least not in the past string of years. Everybody I know is busy. But here's what I want us to do. I want us, by God's grace, to get out of the weeds and to get out of the busyness of our lives. And I want us to climb up about 40,000 foot and we're going to see God's plan for you and for me, for His redeemed people, from Genesis to Revelation. A 40,000 foot view. And let me just go ahead and plant this seed. We're going to read about a guy named Abraham and I just want to ask, does anybody know how old Abraham was when he had his son Isaac? Throw it out there. Anybody got it? A hundred years old. So unless I'm missing something, we haven't reached a hundred years old yet. All right. So I say that to say there's not a time where God's Word doesn't apply to us anymore. Like if you, if you again... If you have breath in your lungs, God has called you to what we're going to read about. And so whether you are the oldest in the room, or whether you are the youngest in the room, and you have made that most important decision of placing your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this Word and God's plan for you is here, and it's for all of us. So we're in Genesis chapter 1. 
And what better place to begin than the very, very beginning to see God's design for multiplying His image over the earth. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, Adam and Eve were God's first creation. He created in Genesis chapter 1, or first human beings, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, 28. Here's what the Bible says. It says, So God created man in His own image. And in the image of God, He created him, them, him, male and female, He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is the very first command we see in Scripture. The very first command, be fruitful and multiply. What is happening at be fruitful and multiply? God's design is that we as His image bearers, created in the image of God, He created male and female representing Him and His image. He says, I want you to fill the earth with My image. Like from the very beginning, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. In other words, take My image to the ends of the earth for my glory, for my mission. But as we see this, what we know quickly is that Genesis chapter 3 happens. And in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they commit what, what, what we would call rebellion. We all know what that is. We've all done that. Rebellion is here's God's design and here's God's plan. And when you depart from God's design and God's plan to go for your plan, that is a departure from His design, which is rebellion, which every single time you depart from His design, it leads in brokenness every single time. And so that image of God has been tainted, has been marred because, and I don't mean offense by saying this, we're all sinners. Every single one of us are sinners and we fall short of the glory of God. But God desires now to use spiritual multiplication to take his glory and His image to the ends of the earth through born-again believers to fill the earth with His image. And Jesus, at the same time after He rose from the dead, He gathered His disciples on a Galilean mountainside and He shared what we call the Great Commission. We'll read about that in just a little bit. But He gathered them and He gave them this commission. And then just a little bit later, He was back in Jerusalem and He was on a mountain called the Mount of Olives. And it was on that day that He ascended back into heaven and He will descend again in that same spot. But it's interesting that as He ascended into heaven, the resurrected King, He, he didn't say, alright, come with me. He said, alright, we're going to load up all, all my, my followers and let, let's just go. Let's just go right to heaven. No, He didn't say go with me. He said go to them. He said go and make disciples of all nations. And he said this to this motley crew of disciples who are just all kinds of works in progress, all right, just like we are. But he calls them to take his image and his glory to the ends of the earth. And God's plan A continues to be with our limited time that we have. But James says it's like a vapor. This vapor that we're all living in right now, that God desires to maximize our life spans for His glory. And so we are going to see how the 
designed for multiplication and His glory to the ends of the earth started way back in Genesis 1.27 from the beginning. We're going to see how it went to Abraham. We're going to see how it went to his son Isaac. We're going to see how it went to his son Jacob. We're going to see how Moses continued to appeal to God based on the promise of God's design for His people. And not only that, Jesus is going to give that same principle, that same command. And He's even going to give us a glimpse of the throne room in Revelation that shows us the multitudes of people that are there. Why? Because somebody loved somebody enough to tell them the good news. And God desires to use us in our lives. So if you got your Bibles, if you want to track along, Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. And what we are going to be reading is this promise that Abraham, God has given Abraham. And if we look closely and listen closely, we will see ourselves in the promise. So in Genesis chapter 15, verse 5 and 6, the Bible says that when he brought him outside, so God brought Moses outside, he said, look, look toward heaven. And number the stars, if you're able to number them. And then he said, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Alright, so there we are. We are those spiritual descendants in the year 2022. Here we are. But let's just not stop with Abraham. Let's see a reminder that God gives Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. In Genesis chapter 22, Abraham was willing to do what I can only imagine would be the absolute most devastating, even like how could I even imagine this thing to do? And that is, Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac. And God said in Genesis chapter 22 verse 16, the Bible says, "...by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord." Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. God says, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. But that promise did not stop with Abraham. It passed to Isaac. Let's flip over to Genesis chapter 26. If you got your Bibles there, Genesis chapter 26. And this is Abraham's son. And the promise continues to his son Isaac. In Genesis chapter 26, verse 4, God says, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. But it didn't just stop with Isaac. The promise continued to his son, Jacob. Isaac had a couple boys. They were twins. Jacob, anybody know the other one? Yeah, Jacob and Esau. And so in Genesis chapter 28, this promise continues through Jacob. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 28, Verse 13, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. 
The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread about to the west and the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all of the families of the earth be blessed. There we are again. We're in, we're in that promise. We're in that text. If you want to join me in Exodus 32, we're going to visit this promise in through the generation of Moses. In Exodus chapter 32, Moses understood this principle of multiplication. And he understood it was a promise to God's people. And so it was, if you're familiar with the Mount Sinai scene, and Moses didn't come back for a while, and they made a golden calf and they started worshiping it. And the Bible even talks about how quickly their hearts turned from the Lord. And it had to be heartbreaking for the Lord and heartbreaking for Moses. But Moses appeals to God on the flakiness of the people of God. He says in Exodus 32, verses 13 and 14, the Bible says, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from his disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. The, the promise continues. We see over in Jeremiah thirty-three twenty-two to David, the Bible says, as the host of heaven cannot be numbered and the sands of the sea cannot be measured. So I will multiply the offspring of David, my servant and the Levitical priest who minister to me. God is choosing to use the sand in the, on the shore and the stars in the sky to paint this picture of the, the, the impact that He desires His people to have on the world. This is what God wants for His glory. But the promise isn't just for Abraham's physical children. It is for spiritual descendants. And that's us. God did it through them. He wants to do it through you. He wants to do it through us. The true children of Abraham aren't just those who came through a physical birth line, but are rather children of faith. When I was a little kid, I don't know if y'all grew up going to VBS or anything like that, but there was a song that we sang. And it went something like this. Father Abraham, I'm almost tempted to sing it. I'm going to speak it, okay, because y'all don't want me to sing. All right. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, and one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord right on. You can't not sing it. Like You just want to start going. Maybe we'll do that sometime. But it's a fun kid song, but it's a spiritual truth. Because this is what God teaches us through His Word. Over in Galatians 3, verse 7 and 9, Paul says this, Know then that it is those of faith that are the sons of Abraham. Those who place their faith and trust in Jesus. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. And so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So not only is he he's communicating, God's helping us understand this, but He also communicates the same truth 
to his letter to the Romans, the, the church at Rome. He said in Romans 4.16, that is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father, Paul says, of all of us. Of all of us. So Jesus is continuing this promise through Scripture. He gives a parable about the, the parable of the soils. And in Mark, in Mark chapter 4, he wraps up, Jesus wraps up that parable by saying this, that those who were sown on the good soil, and what he was talking about was the seed is the, is the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And the, the good soil represents the heart that readily received the good news of Jesus and responded in repentance and faith. And so when he continues this parable, he says in Mark 4.20, those who were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. The principle of multiplication, it's all over Scripture. Uh, if, you, if you grow corn, my wife and I, we attempted to grow some corn, all right? And, and every, every, every farmer or harvester desires that big harvest. But like too big of a harvest, you know, it's kind of hard to get your hands on. But a spiritual harvest, the more to reach the masses, to reach the ends of the earth. This is, this is God's design, is multiplication, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. It's for everybody. And so this promise is from generation to generation. I mentioned Jesus, after His resurrection, He called those disciples on that Galilean mountainside and He told them, listen, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. He says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. And lo, or behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Jesus didn't say, okay, I've rescued you. Now let's, let's go right now. Like, come to heaven right now. No, He said, no, like, you are my plan to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, which is crazy because we are in, in Olive Branch, Mississippi and have been recipients of the good news of Jesus through faithful witnesses that have endured so much persecution and tribulation and even death that this good news might reach our ears. And then not only that, God in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, He gives a glimpse of the throne room. And as believers, this is where we're headed. This is the promise. This is what God allowed John to see. In Revelation 7, 9, the Bible says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and all languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people group around the throne. And the question that we have to keep asking ourselves is, how will they know? Unless we live sent. Unless we take the light and the hope of the gospel with us from cover to cover, we see God's plan is to accomplish the spreading of His glory through His people that He has rescued. God wants to use you. God wants to use me. And I just got to ask, does anybody else feel completely unqualified for that? 
Am I alone? Completely unqualified. Like, I think sometimes we can, we can kind of like look at other followers and just kind of like either, either like do the comparison thing, which by the way, every time you compare, you lose. You either like, like wow, I'm doing pretty good and you get puffed up with pride or you're like, man, I'm a loser and you, you, you just feel worthless. Like the comparison game, they're, they're like nobody ever wins that. But here's the thing. The fact that you said you're unqualified and that I would say I'm unqualified, guess what? That's exactly the qualification God is looking for. Because the, the Bible teaches us that, that salvation is by grace through faith, not of works. So like the whole purpose is so that you do understand like it is not through what you've done, but only through the finished work of King Jesus on the cross. God uses the unqualified. I think about Abraham and I think about him being a hundred years old, and I think about him being a hundred years old and going out and God saying, hey, look at the stars. If you can number them, that's going to be your offspring. And I can only imagine him, like, maybe in the back of his head, maybe he said it, maybe he didn't, but he's like, do you know I'm a hundred years old? <laughs> do, you, do you know that? But God is looking. He's looking for those who are unqualified. Why? Because He is the qualifier. He's the one. In James chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, James is the half-brother of Jesus. Jesus, obviously, being fully divine, the God-man. James, in his family, is the half-brother, came along, wrote the book of James, became a leader in the church. And James says this, possibly because he knew that believers would struggle with their qualifiedness to be used by God. James 5.17 says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. So God, God works through the prayers of the righteous. And then He talks about Elijah. I love the prophet Elijah. He's one of my heroes. I named one of my kids after him. Like, I love Elijah. He's amazing. But don't miss what God is helping us see in this text. He's helping us see Elijah was just like you. He's just like me. He's just an ordinary believer. And what does the Bible say? He uses the prayer of the righteous. Guess what the Bible says about our righteousness? He says our righteousness is like filthy rags. And so if my righteousness is filthy rags, then who in the world's righteousness, like, can I, like how can I be a righteous person praying? That's why 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is there. Because the Bible says that God made Him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, you're right. Your righteousness isn't going to work. If you're praying according to your righteousness, it's not going to work. But as believers, we pray clothed in the righteousness of God. Clothed in His righteousness for His glory and for His mission. It's because of His righteousness that we pray. It's because of His righteousness that when we read over in Hebrews, He invites us to come with boldness and confidence to His throne of grace and find help in our hour of need. Why? Because of my righteousness? No, because of His righteousness. Because of what He's done for us. 
So let's think about God and His glory and His power. Psalm 19, 1-2 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night after night, or night to night, reveals knowledge. I want you to go back to the beach, and it's 9 o'clock, and I want you to look up at those stars. And I want you to know that one of those stars out there is a star called Betelgeuse. I, I don't know how to pronounce it exactly. I want to say Betelgeuse every time I see it. But Betelgeuse, all right? Betelgeuse the star. This star is 527 light years from this little planet that we live on called Earth. In miles, that's 3 quadrillion, 97 trillion, 969 billion, 402 million, 76,285 miles from here. That's as we say in the, in the South, that's a piece. Right? That, that's a piece. All right? But compared with other stars in the Hubble telescope that they're able to grab a hold of and see, guess what? The farthest visible stars are between 13 and 15 billion light years from Earth. So now all of a sudden, like 527 doesn't really sound like that many that far away. But this is the economy of God. This is the God we worship. This is the God we serve. And God desires to multiply, to multiply disciples through your life, through your life. Think about this. Jesus discipled 12. If each of us as believers led one person to Jesus over these next 365 days, if we led one person to Jesus, at the end of the year there would be two of us as believers. And if we taught that person how to share the, the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and they led somebody to place their faith in Jesus, if each of you in year two did that same thing, now there wouldn't be two believers, there would be four believers. And after year three, there would not be four believers, there would be eight believers. It's multiplying. And then after six years, there would be 64 believers. And here's what's wild. After year 12, there would be 4,096 believers. If you discipled one person a year for the next 12 years to lead somebody to faith in Christ, it's that picture of multiplication. Multiplication. And so if you would have only personally discipled 12, you would have impacted thousands of people for the glory of God. And so there was this guy, Billy, Billy Graham, the great evangelist. Just curious, how many of y'all have been to a Billy Graham crusade? I, I wanted to so badly. I, I never been to one. Uh, but Billy Graham, probably most all of us have heard of. God used him in a powerful way uh, in the generation before uh, to lead just multitudes of people to faith in Christ. And this guy named Jim was asked about Billy. Jim, Jim worked for a ministry called Navigators, and Jim and Billy were really close, but Jim also was friends with other evangelists. And, and so, like, Billy Graham, obviously his ministry just exploded, and they're like, they got stadiums full of people, multitudes coming to faith in Christ, and then other evangelists, like, they don't have that same story. And, and, but, but the question was asked to Jim, what made Billy so different? And I love his answer. He said, because Billy had the faith to go rent the stadium when others didn't. And that just, that's just a neat testimony of, like, God desires to use you. And sometimes we can get in the way of that by us being, feeling 
disqualified, but God is the one who qualifies us. It's based on His faithfulness. And so now I want us to imagine that we're the ones that God is talking to and not Moses. And we're the ones in Genesis 15. And maybe we're the ones that are like 100 years old, like Moses is at the time. And he walks us up and God tells us to look up as he did in Genesis 15, 5. And he said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham gazed at the stars and he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And so here's the question I want us to kind of like wrap up with this morning is just to be that we would all be reminded of this and humbled of this. We've, we've kind of gotten out of the weeds of, of life. And the weeds are real. Like the weeds don't go away, do they? Like we all have lots of things we need to do, lots of responsibilities. But I want us to get above the weeds no matter how old you are. And I want you to hear this. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, God wants to multiply Himself through your life. Whether you are a hundred years old like Abraham or whether, like for me, I've shared my testimony before, I'm so thankful for an eighth grader named Stephen who sought me out a fourth grader and shared the gospel with me and led me to Jesus. So whatever age you're at as a believer, God has called you. This Word is for you. It's not for the superstars. It's for the Elijahs who are clothed in the righteousness of God just like us. And so as we are wrapping up, I just want to ask you the question, what is your next step? Are you actively engaged in Great Commission living? Are you actively engaged in taking the Gospel from the nations to your neighbors? Because we do not have to be convinced that we live in a spiritually dark world. We see the effects. and We see the impact of sin and the brokenness that we all live in. And it can be a very dark place. Spiritually dark at times. And the effect is because of those who have rejected God's design. They've rejected God's way and they've gone their own way. Way They're living apart from a life-giving, light-giving relationship with Jesus. I have heard all of my life, I think, that, that Mississippi is the Bible Belt. Because um, there's lots of churches, I guess. Lots of believers. But here is some, is some statistics from our state, Mississippi. That in our 82 counties, there are 3,045,316 people. At least when I pulled this number up about a week ago. Here's what's wild. 2,262,175 are unchurched. 74% of every person in our state does not have a church home. So three out of every almost four people you see don't, aren't connected to a faith family. Not only that, 1,872,957 profess no faith at all in our state. That's in our state here in Mississippi. In our country, there are around 335 million people. 45% of, 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 uh, of millennials and 40% and of Generation Zs, they never grew up going to church, at least any kind of consistent basis. And not only that, but in a recent study by Ligonier's uh, State of Theology showed that 56% of U.S. adults 
uh, see the Bible as helpful but not literally true. Uh, it's, uh, it's helpful accounts of ancient myths but not literally true. But here's what's crazy is that 26% of evangelicals, and so an evangelical is a person who, 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 who uh, believes the Bible is, is, is solid, but they also trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation. That's an evangelical. 26% of U.S. evangelicals in this study said the same thing, that the Bible is like all sacred writings. It contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but it's not literally true. 43% of evangelicals say that Jesus was a great teacher, but He was not God. This is our state. This is our country. In our continent, there are in the, in the neighborhood of 281 million people who do not have a relationship with Jesus. In the ends of the earth, the latest world population clock that I saw ticking said we're somewhere around the neighborhood of 7.9 billion people. And God desires to bring the light of the gospel, the light of the hope of the gospel, each step of the way. But of those 7.9 billion people right now, there are 3 billion people who are unreached with the gospel. And not only that, but there are 278 million people who are unengaged and unreached with the gospel. It doesn't mean that if they heard the gospel, they wouldn't respond. It means they have no idea what the gospel is. There is no gospel witness. There's no gospel witness. And so the question is, how in this spiritually dark place, how will they know how will those in your home know? How will those in your family know? How will those in your neighborhood know? How will those in your coworkers know? How will they know in the ends of the earth? How will they know unless someone tells, unless someone loves them enough to share? But Jesus has brought the light of the gospel, and that God desires that as He is the light of the world. That He has called us in Matthew 5, He says that we are the light of the world. He says in Matthew 5, verse 14, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so the question that I asked and the question that we must answer is, so what is our next step? How might God use you to bring the light of the gospel to a dark place for His glory and for His mission? Could it be that your next step is sharing the light of the gospel through opportunities right here on our campus? That our campus is a drop-off location for Operation Christmas Child Shoeboxes. And we need volunteers to receive boxes from local individuals, churches, and other groups. And prepare the boxes to be sent all over the world with each child knowing that they will hear the hope of the gospel. It could be through serving through our English as a second language ministry. That this is an opportunity to teach non-English speaking neighbors the basics of our language 
and also the lessons from God. It could be with family ministries that one of the greatest disciple-making opportunities that you'll ever have is to pour your life into the next generation. The generation of preschoolers like we just saw earlier. Children and students and young adults. That maybe your next step is sharing the light of the gospel here in our community. That we have the Good News Club. It's an opportunity to lead local school children in learning about God's Word and the hope of the gospel through fun activities and lessons taught by people just like you and just like me. It could be serving the Olive Branch Food Pantry where it's an opportunity to serve food insecure families from our community and that you would have the opportunity to offer them encouragement, opportunity to pray and to share the light and the hope of the gospel. That maybe your next step is sharing the light of the gospel regionally. That through Memphis Union Mission, we partner and have the opportunity to prepare and serve the homeless of downtown Memphis with a delicious meal. But not only do we feed them a physical meal, but yet each week is an opportunity or each month an opportunity to share the gospel and to lead them in music every fourth Saturday of the month. That maybe your next step is sharing the light of the gospel nationally. We support Bridge City Church and we partner with church planter Jonathan Howard and his family Mandy and their three children, Mandy and Lauren and Audra and Brady and, and, and a brand new work in Cincinnati. And we're praying perhaps God may call, may call some of us to go and serve in that work. Or maybe your next step is sharing the light of the gospel internationally. Each summer, we commission a team to Honduras with opportunities to meet physical and spiritual needs while spreading the gospel among the Honduran peoples. We go to Guatemala, and in this opportunity, we have the, the blessing to partner with low-income families by helping and building homes and sharing the gospel and doing ministry with kids. Could be your next step that God is sending you or sending you or taking you to Honduras or Guatemala. It may be that your next step is sharing the light of the gospel to the ends of the earth. That we are beginning a partnership with ministry in South Asia. It is the lost of lostness on our planet with over 3,000 unengaged and unreached people groups who have never heard the gospel. But it could be that God is calling you to partner with our church and IMB missionaries in South Asia to train national leaders and share the gospel in small teams with groups who have never heard the good news of Jesus. Everybody has a next step. Every believer is called to be a light and take the light of the gospel from our neighbors to the nations, to the ends of the earth, all for the glory of God and the mission of God. And I simply ask, what is your step? We've seen God's design from Genesis to Revelation. How will they know? It will be through our lives as we live sent.